Welcome to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. In a troubled world, riddled with endless pursuits, we have a place of peace and rest in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in worshiping Him and following Him in a life-transforming journey. Now, here's my friend Ben to introduce today's sermon. Good morning. Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho, welcomes you back as we continue in our series, Free at Last. Looking back on your whole life, can you honestly say you have never sinned, not even once? James 2 tells us that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. The Bible is clear. If you have sinned just once, you are guilty of all sin. Romans 3 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we are honest with ourselves, we all know we are not perfect. So how could we ever stand before a holy God when that day comes? But there is hope. Listen along today as Pastor Lorian explains how destructive sin is, but how faith in Jesus Christ overcomes that sin and makes us right with the eternal God. Before we talk about despair, before we talk about loneliness, before we talk about fear, anxiety, all these things, we got to come to terms in this battle against that sin in our own lives. And the enemy, because he knows you intimately, God knows you fully. Satan, through his demons, know you pretty well. They know the closet, they know the kitchen, they know the bedroom, they know you're driving, and they know exactly what buttons to press, and they know exactly what kind of drones to send in your life to attack you with sin. And if you're aware of that, you know that it's a true warfare, not against flesh and blood. So we've got to take this sin for real. Isaiah 59.1, which we've seen before, it's not that God does not want to help us. It's not that God does not want to answer your prayers. Your first prayer when you come before the Lord, the first words out of your mouth should be, Lord, I stand before you. Forgive me once again. In the name of Jesus, wash my feet once again. And you name that sin that you're dealing with because he already knows it. And after you come in confession and conviction to turn around and repent away from that life and that sin, now you begin to pray for David and for Neil and for, for Dan, for then God will hear your prayer. But if you're hiding sin in your life, you can cry out like those priests on the mountain across from Elijah, and God's not going to hear you. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, or His ear dull that He cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Isaiah 59, 1. When we're trying to resolve issues in our lives, apart from God and or God's way, it's kind of like having an ailment in your life. Your back, your liver, your knees, your hip, whatever it may be. And you've been dealing with this issue and it hurts. 
You may blame it on the age or an accident. They just want to get rid of it. And therefore, real quick, you see an advertisement, a commercial on TV. And they're telling you that this new drug will take care of all your problems. You are not going to be tied to Tylenol or aspirin. Just take this drug. But then all of you know what follows all the benefits of that drug. During the commercial of presenting that drug, the guy that's talking is talking very slowly and carefully. And you see the image of people walking by the seaside, happy and smiling. When he's done, there come the disclaimers. And the guy starts talking like a horse race announcer. Heart attack, bleeding, dying. But take this drug! So you, what do I do? You take a drug to take care of one ailment and you're going to get three others which will put you in the grave anyway. And that's how we deal with sin sometimes. You may have one issue over another and, and you may reach for a, a bottle and, and you start drinking. You can't stop or you reach for whatever drug or whatever it may be. You, you exchange one problem for ten others. What do you do? And I guarantee you that many Christians, so-called, have given up on what God can do because they've seen so many other Christians talk it, but not walk it. Not knowing what it means to be victorious. And they can truly say, I once was lost, or I once was blind, but now I see. Well, how did you do that? I want to see. The answer is, the way you deal with sin is what we call faith that describes a lifestyle that begins with repentance and true commitment and daily connection. Let's see what this looks like. First of all, and I think that's all we're going to be able to do this morning, we're going to talk about the problem of sin and what sin really does in someone's life. Yes, I know, depressing. I wish I could jump to the resolution, the redemption, the solution of how we defeat sin. But we're so used to running for the good, not understanding what it really means to hate sin. Because we truly don't understand how holy God really is. We think that sin, is, as long as it doesn't affect anybody else, will be fine. It's my life. None of your business. We, we don't understand what it means. How sin offends a holy and loving and righteous God. He is holy, holy, holy. Three times declared. We see nothing about the other characteristics being repeated three times. It doesn't say God is love, love, love. It says God is holy, holy, holy. If we understand that discrepancy, that separation, that eternal hatred of sin. We don't know exactly how we should treat that sin in our own lives. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, where John lays a complete picture of the reality and the consequences of sin in a practical sense. John is very logical, very simple. And everyone who hopes in Him, who hopes in salvation, who hopes in seeing Jesus, who hopes in being with Jesus, who believes in eternal life and desires that. If you got all that, 
purifies himself. That means you fight against that sin so you would be like Jesus as he is pure. 1 John 3, 3 and on. Everyone, and here we go, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. The idea that sin is a transgression against the whole law of God. One sin is just as bad as committing all ten of them. The idea is that, and here's the point that you want to you circle in your Bible or underline the idea of practicing sin or living within that sin. We will see the difference between the fact that, yes, we're born in sin, we are saved and delivered from the power of sin, but we, until we see Jesus, will always deal with sin in our lives. There's a difference between the presence of sin and the practicing of sin. Verse 5, you know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. That's Jesus. And then He says, listen, no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. And now we understand because John remembers what Jesus said. Abide in Me and I will abide in you and my Father will abide in you. Why do I have to have Jesus in my life and the Holy Spirit fill me every day? Because when we fill our lives with Jesus, I think it was Moody. He took a glass of water that was empty. And um, he asked the question, how can I get the whole air out of here? I want to empty this cup of all the air. Let's see if it's empty. I'm sucking all the air out. Well, those gases are still going to replenish right away. You really can't do with that. You can fill it with sand. Yeah, but not really in a real molecular way. There's still air in there. The answer is to get rid of that air, which could be equivalent to the sin. He took a, a, a pitcher of water and he filled it. And once the cup was filled with water, guess what was not in the cup anymore? Air. You don't fight against sin by picking at it. You fight it by having Jesus fill your life. Those that abide in Him... No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. No matter what they say, no matter what the plans they offer. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Whoa, wait a minute. That drastic? Yes. If you live in sin, no matter what you're declaring through your mouth, you're lying to yourself. Because if you're practicing sin, you're of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's the second reason we see there. The first one was to take away sin and destroy the devil. That is Jesus. What do I need? Jesus. No one born of God. Here it is, verse 9, the most important verse. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in Him. In other words, if you are born again, and the Lord Jesus is the Lord of your heart, the Holy Spirit lives here, He abides in you, you cannot sin anymore. What do you mean sin? You won't be practicing sin. You won't be living in sin. Because the seed of God is in you. What's the seed? The Word of God. The promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. Now, what happens? Two things happen within this problem and presence of sin. 
And we see this in all creatures, humans, and pets. I think I've talked to you about this, but you've seen it. If you had a dog, dogs more than cats. Cats, they know nothing about repentance. Dogs do. I've seen those videos where the master comes home and there's three dogs, and one of them chewed up the whole carpet. And, and the master says, who did it? The other two dogs, they're all looking at this guy. This guy in the middle that did it, he's got his head down, tail between his legs, and he just walks away because he knows what the master's talking about. He has guilt. One of the dangers of living and practicing sin, the Bible talks about, is that those that keep on living in that sin, and they may go through a cycle of repentance, sorrow, promising God and they go right back to sin like Israel did in the book of Judges, what happens is if you keep on practicing that sin, your conscience will be seared like with a hot iron from the fire and you have no more feelings. And you look at some people and you wonder how in the world don't they feel sorry about what they've done or what they're doing? Their conscience has been seared. That's the danger. Because the searing of the conscience comes gradually. You may see it coming when it's far away. And you may be concerned about it as you're struggling in your sin. But the more you sin, the closer it gets. And when that searing of the conscience takes place, it's like being blinded. Everyone knows you're blind but you. The guilt of sin. First of all, every one of us here is guilty of sin. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now what does this mean in just a quick explanation? Because someone that doesn't care about God, if you tell them you fall short of the glory of God, they'll say, so what? Glory of God does not mean just the paradise, the presence, and the joy. Being falling short of the glory of God means you are far away from His presence. You're far away from His blessing. You're far away from His will. You are left to yourself and all you've got is Satan coming at you like a lion to destroy you. We're born in that sin. We're guilty. Alright? 1 John First John 1.8 reminds us, well, the, the response is okay, I don't have sin. I go to church, I tithe, I listen, so I don't have sin. So John, again, in a logical sense, just to clear everybody's mind and declaration, no, no, not so fast. If anyone says that they do not have sin, we deceive ourselves. The idea is that we are born in that sin, it runs through our flesh, and it will be with us until the day Jesus comes to take us, or we go to Him. And then we will truly have defeated sin in Christ for eternity. Up to that point, don't deceive yourself. We have sin. And that's why I said there's a difference between having sin and practicing sin. Even if we commit just one sin... James tell us, it's as if we've committed all of them. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole 
law and you try so hard like the Pharisees and like Paul born uh, and on the eighth day I was circumcised I was born a Pharisee and, and I've lived and I kept the law or the young men that came to Jesus I've kept the law what am I missing how do I get eternal life and Jesus says do this that and the other first five commandments I've done those well how about these ones I've done those but he could not let go of the love of his riches James says for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point he became guilty of all of it so if you lie in God's eye your sin is just as grave as committing adultery or murder one sin breaks all the tablet that's because sin is so terrible and God is so holy when you look at guilt, you got both legal guilt and emotional guilt. God has given us that emotional gift, guilt. So he would begin to draw that we would respond, realizing of our legal guilt. Legal guilt means that we violated God's law. We are guilty and we're good for eternal fire in hell. First John 3, 4 which we read, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And the price of this legal guilt is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But God has a different plan. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He puts it before us. Why would you stay entangled in your sin when God wants to give you life Joy, peace. And this is the death that we see in Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. And this is the second death. The point is, these that are practicing this lifestyle and sin, the sin that we were born with begins to take fruition. We embrace it and we live it to the end of eternal death in the lake of fire. But for us as those that have believed in Jesus... And have been saved from that fire. We still deal with this sin. But there's victory. There's a point where we can just plant that flag and say no more. And that's the legal gift. The emotional gift that deals with our conscience of sin. When you've done it, then you feel really, really, really bad about it. And if you're repenting about it, you want to go and you want to ask forgiveness of the one that you've sinned against and ultimately of God. When we know we've done wrong, we feel the guilt. Our conscience becomes burdened by such guilt. But even if your conscience is seared against emotional guilt, the legal guilt remains. God holds us accountable. John 12, 48 says, Jesus is the one that's talking the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I've spoken will judge him on that last day. And that word being spoken ultimately is fulfilled in the completion of Scripture. The Bible. The Bible is the judge, he says. And that word will judge him on the last day. But there is hope. 
Because even in Acts 17.30, at the end of the sermon, Paul says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. You didn't know, that's fine. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What we want to do as we walk these steps is to take sin for real. Grow a, a powerful hatred against it. My sin... Not your sin. You deal with your sin. I'll deal with my sin. And realize of all the blessings and all the joys and all that God has wanted to give us. But He could not. Because our hands are filled embracing that sin as His children. And that's why He loves us as a Father. He disciplines us that we would love the relationship with Him more than that sin to say enough is enough. I give myself to the Lord, that I live to the full potential of what He has prepared for me. Back in 1818, there was a doctor called Philip, Ignaz Philip Semmelweis. And this, has, this brings us to COVID. There has been so many solutions that we have been given for COVID. Do this, take that shot, wear the mask, do everything you can to protect yourself from COVID. But there's something that's even more effective and more simple that I've been guilty of not doing that this doctor dealt with in 1818. Back in 1818, 200 some years ago, one in six children at their birth, they would die. There were so many deaths that they didn't know what to do. Then this guy began to pay attention, Hungarian doctor, and he, he looked at the life of a, of a doctor. What he did in the morning, he would start by, by uh, working on cadavers, opening them up, see what happened, declare them dead. And in the afternoon, they would go to the hospital and deli- deliver babies. And he said, wait a minute, what's happening here? We're touching what is dead, what is decomposing. We're touching this, then we're going to go. We're going to deliver babies and touch the baby with that microbe and that dirt from the bodies. And and he kept telling all the doctors, here's what we got to do. We've got to wash our hands. Oh, that's too simple. You don't know what you're talking about. Nobody listened to him. Nobody paid attention to him. He lived his life crying out. He delivered over 1,800 babies. And out of those, only 164 died. Because he washed his hands regularly, daily, all the time. He died at 47. Insane. From all this burden he dealt with. They took away his wash basins and they laughed at him. And all he said is to deal with that sickness. Wash your hands. How close is your relationship with the Lord Jesus? In washing your hands and your mind from that daily sin. Recognizing every thought, every word, every action every reaction, the way we look at others, and the way we understand what God wants from us in obedience. We call this keeping a short account with God. Don't run throughout the day and just pile up that sin at the end of the day. Oh Lord, forgive me for all sin. Amen. I'm going to sleep. No, Lord Jesus, I did it again. Give me victory.
There is victory over sin. There is victory over that practicing of sin. Whatever it may be, whatever these chains may be, whatever addiction, whatever character reaction or or, or temperament, whatever it may be, the cross and the blood has power. And there's a practical way to live free from these chains that so easily entangle us. What a fantastic reminder that although sin is such a destructive force in this world, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross has both eternal implications for our souls and also practical applications for our day-to-day lives. Let us pray. Lord, we declare in one accord with the angelic hosts of heaven, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We ask that you increase our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our one and only hope to deal with and overcome sin in our lives. We thank you for his constant intercession on our behalf, which allows us to stand with confidence before a holy God, knowing our sins are completely and eternally forgiven and death has no power over us. Amen. Thank you for listening to Scriptures for Life a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. For more information about our church, visit us online at trinityefcboise.org or by phone 208-322-8801. Our church is located at 1777 North Allenbaugh Street in Boise. We'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at 11 a.m. Join us next week at this time as we go through and apply God's Word on Scriptures for Life.